Welcome to the Meaningful Media Podcast. It's the gaming episode. We'll be looking at this if this turbocharged Meaningful Media is leaving brands behind. The stakes are high. Valued at $197 billion in 2022, it's the second biggest entertainment market behind TV. Gaming is expected to hit a massive $268 billion in 2025. It's a huge industry. There are 3.24 billion gamers globally in 2021. That's nearly one in two people around the world gaming. Asia's the biggest market with almost 1.48 billion gamers. And Europe number two with 715 million. There's lots to unpack here. It's a huge and growing industry with many opportunities but pitfalls for brands. So in this episode, we wanted to understand just why is gaming such meaningful media? the meaningful media and media experience moments that make it. And we're going to be joined by two uh, experts in studio, uh, by two Alexes. One good Alex deserves another. Um, We've got Alexandra Etson, business director at Havas Entertainment, who specializes in gaming. And we've got Alex Tan, SVP of advertising and brand partnerships, uh, also board member at Gameloft, a game studio, uh, who are going to be uh, discussing this really interesting, exciting topic with us today. So, first of all, let's listen to our uh, our brilliant panel of gamers that we've assembled from around the world, uh, and have them talk through the kind of games uh, they like to play and their preferred platforms. Hi, this is Yasmin from Germany. I'm 28 years old. My favorite types of games are role-playing games, but I also enjoy jump runs, hack and slash, life simulators, and sometimes MOBAs with friends. But RPGs are definitely the most fun for me, mostly because of the story aspect. I really like a good story. It's like you get to play a movie, and if the story is good, you really get sucked into this world. Hi, I am Thierry Moret. I am 45 years old, and I play for around 35 years. I play shooters, real-time strategy, role-playing, adventure game, and a bit of retro gaming. Hello, my name is Drew. I am 29 years old and from Berlin, Massachusetts. I'm a platinum hunter on PlayStation, so my focus is 100%ing any game I play. So I've played a lot of different genres. If I really had to pick my favorite genres, I would say 3D platformers, such as ukulele or Banjo-Kazooie, or JRPGs or RPGs, such as the Tales of series. I really enjoy battle royale games like Blood Hunt and Apex, Hi, I'm Emma. I'm 32. I absolutely love playing action-adventure platformer-style games. Just find them like proper addictive and so much fun to play. And I really like the puzzle sort of problem-solving elements to them. I'm also a massive fan of watching walkthroughs of some action-adventure games that I would genuinely just be way too terrified to play myself. Hello, my name is Samuel. I'm from Paris and I'm 16. I do casual gaming. I play games such as Minecraft, a sandbox game, but also Hearts of Iron 4, a real-time strategy game, and finally EVE Online, which is a MMORPG. Um, I mostly play on consoles, but also on computers sometimes. I like consoles because you get to play in a big screen, which is a big plus for me because you can enjoy all the nice graphics and feels like you would play a movie, so to speak. Also, you get to relax on the couch, which really helps me to wind down. I sit in front of a computer all day, so changing mediums actually quite nice. 
I started playing on computers, but for now I prefer playing on my Xbox Series X because it gives me the best sensations on a large 4K TV. My daughter also has a Nintendo Switch, which I borrow when she sleeps. My preferred gaming media would have to be console, specifically my PS5. The reason being is the quality. Plus, I also grew up on gaming consoles for 24 years, so I just, it's just what I'm comfortable with. My current console of choice is Nintendo Switch. Um, it's great because I can take it anywhere, play it anywhere. Um, and I've always been a massive fan of Nintendo ever since I was about 10 years old. In my opinion, I think they make the best action adventure platformer style games, which is the games that I, I love playing. Um, the characters they create are so iconic and memorable and the worlds that are in these games are just so far removed from reality, which is probably why I actually like them so much. Let's just jump to you guys quickly, uh, Alex and Alex. Anything really stood out to you from, from our gamers talking about the kind of games they play and the, the genres they, uh, they enjoy? Alexandra, we'll go to you first in, in studio. Um, I wouldn't really say the games they play or the genres, but I think their ages really speak Interesting. a lot. Yeah. They um, were all 28, 29, and I think mid-40s, um, which I think speaks to how the conventional gamer is ageing. And obviously there's a very wide scope of ages for gamers. But specifically when we think of gamers or when most people think of gamers, they think of 18 or 14 year olds who play Fortnite but realistically a lot of console gamers tend to skew older and a lot of female uh, gamers tend to skew 55 plus on mobile which I think is really interesting because we forget or when brands try to engage with gamers they think they're engaging with the Gen Z gamers but there's really a huge wide variety of gamers that they should be engaging with fascinating so so you took from that that the uh, and it was something i was surprised by the the breadth of of ages and experience uh, you know the, this kind of idea we have of a gamer isn't really true it's uh, it's kind of quite universal and that's borne out in our panel's experience but also the the demographics we're seeing engaging uh, alex uh, over to you in in paris what did you draw out from from that uh, that conversation with our, our panel but yeah as uh, alexandra was was saying i think uh, the age audience, the, the age group from which they are part of, actually means a lot when in terms of the, the choice and the type of games they play. So let's hear from our panel about their ideal gaming moments. This kind of helps us to understand their media experience. Hi, this is Yasmin from Germany. Uh, my ideal gaming moment is at home in front of the TV. I like that I can lay back and relax while playing my favorite games. Ideally, it would be a rainy day. That really sets the mood for me and it gets so much cosier. I usually prepare a cup of tea, maybe some cookies, grab a blanket, and then I'm all set. <laughs> it's also fun when you invite some friends over or start an online session that's usually super funny, you get to laugh a lot, and it really takes your mind of everything else. Hi. I am Thierry Moret. I usually play in the end of the day or early night, when my wife and kids are sleeping. I wish I have more time to play, but I have too many hobbies, the work and family life that take me a lot of time. However, I always find time during the weekend for a Mario Kart with my three daughters, or an old game on my arcade machine. Hello, my name is Drew. In terms of my ideal gaming moment, I think any moment's an ideal moment to game, to be quite honest. I have gamed everywhere, you know, on a plane, in a car, on a train, office, house, <laughs> really anywhere I've gamed, and I've enjoyed all of it. But I think 
as I've aged, it's also changed. I think my ideal gaming moment as a kid is different than today. And right now I would say my ideal moment is playing my PlayStation 5, a summer day, door and windows open, dog by my side, music playing, and an iced coffee, you know, just enjoying myself. And I think that really is, that's what sums up gaming is it's different for everybody. And I think as I've aged, that's probably the most ideal moment for me. Hello, um, my name is Zofreno. I guess it depends on the time. Most of the time it's alone at home in front of my desk and on my computer. But even if I'm alone at home, I always have a friend or two who are connected on Discord. I can ask them to play a game or just chat about anything. So for me, gaming is like reading a book or going for a walk. When you play alone, it's like a way to escape, to relax or to just live another experience than my daily life. And when I play with my friends, it's often more like competitive and challenging. So I think that anybody can find his way in gaming. Yeah, it feels like you are immersed in a movie where you are the hero. You live what he lives and feels what he feels. So you just can't wait to know what happens next. Hi, I'm Emma. My ideal gaming moments are after work. It's a way for me to relax or at the weekend if I've got more time. So I'll play for longer. And um, particularly if I'm playing a new game, actually, then I'll be totally hooked and I just want to keep playing. Um, like recently was playing the new Kirby game and got to the last level, then was like, right, I'm not going to sleep until I've completed this. Then I did, was absolutely buzzing, and then I couldn't even sleep. Hello, my name is Samuel. I'm 16 and I'm from Paris. So my favourite ideal gaming moment looks like a Friday night after school with friends online and playing uh, the same video game together. Alex, over in Paris, we'll come to you first. What were the interesting things that you took from what our panel was saying about uh, their gaming moments there? So clearly what we can see here is the the panel is more of a mid-core to core gaming audience. Um, none of them actually mentioned mobile, which is a bit strange, to be honest, because it doesn't feel really representative of uh, the, the, the state of the market. Mobile accounting for over half of the, the, the gaming business, uh, you know, uh, uh, the gaming uh, world uh, uh, overall. So interesting to see that uh, for them, graphics, the experience, the immersion was really put forward as one of the main elements of what they, they seek for when they, when they play games. Alexandra, coming to you over in London now, what did you, what did you take from that? Nintendo Switch have really owned that space in terms of the portable console. And I think what we're seeing, Nintendo Switch is due to release the next console coming up soon. And I know uh, a lot of people in their responses were really excited and um, thrilled that it would be coming out soon. Since we work in an attention economy and we need to get, get gamers' attention, so the console allows us, or the Switch allows us to reach people while they're on the go. And I think that's very crucial and kind of where the space is going. Yeah, and, and, and the, the thing that fascinated me about it is the, again, the breadth of experience, a little bit like our panel, but actually we, we found this breadth of experience here. We, uh, we had Yasmin in Germany talking about how she, uh, she liked to you know, enjoy the console experience winding down after a day in front of the computer. 
Um, we also had people talking about uh, Switch. We also saw people talking about other types of media. So, uh, you know, Twitch um, and Emma in the UK talks about watching streaming uh, streamers play adventure games. So there's this there's this breadth of experience and all this other media that's happening around that as well. And um, Alex's point on on mobile gaming and um, you know how how that's um, created new. I guess, uh, categories of gamers, people who wouldn't have considered themselves gamers, is something we're going to kind of talk about as, as we go through uh, today. So really fascinating to just listen and, and really important to kind of explore those media experiences, to uh, spend time with real people, real uh, consumers, real citizens, to, to kind of understand uh, how they're experiencing media. So we've heard from our panel about some of their ideal gaming moments and what meaningful media, what great media experience looks like for them. What does gaming as meaningful media look like more generally? What, sh- what could, what should it become? And are expectations in gaming evolving, particularly since the pandemic? We're going to come to uh, Alexandria in London first. Uh, this is a big question. You've obviously got some significant experience within the industry. You've, uh, you've worked supporting brands in this space for a while. So love to hear your thoughts on this big question. It is a big question. Um, I was thinking about this over the weekend and I really think that uh, gaming epitomises meaningful media as a genre. I mean, we've talked a lot, a lot about in the last couple of years of like content is king and we need to be delivering good content um, and that is what gaming does. It builds communities, it delivers great content. Um, it, as you mentioned, helps people uh, find connect with friends and family during the pandemic and it it's consumed by half the population in the world and it's no longer niche. I can I think gaming has been put in a box for the last couple of years or these last ten years and is considered niche. But as the stats prove, it genuinely reaches the entire world. And so yeah, I think like in terms of meaningful media, it definitely is uh, the epitome of what we're looking for in terms of reaching communities and speaking to a specific audience. And we're very fortunate, us who do work in the gaming industry, that we do have great content at our fingertips and we can push that out through advertising. And there's not much we need to do with that content. It's it's story-driven, character-led, really, really great content. Which is why it's so important for for brands to show up and engage appropriately, right? Which will kind of kind of come onto that. And you've you've got some great thoughts about. Is there any industry context we need to be aware of? I know you were talking about production schedules being affected by um, uh, the pandemic. Is there any any broader context as well we should be aware of? The pandemic definitely affected um, gaming, but not in the same way it affected other brands. So, for example, in twenty twenty, uh, the video games that we personally released weren't really impacted by the pandemic because they're already in post-production they were ready with uh in the last two years what we've seen are massive delays in uh in production of these games and as a result games are being pushed out when they're not finished cyberpunk is the perfect example i'm sure you're aware um it was hotly anticipated delayed three four times and then launched last year and was a complete disaster to the point where playstation pulled it off its store um, and we're seeing like almost a loss of um, consumer confidence in video games or video games release, releasing on day one without massive problems. Um, the exception to this rule recently has been Elden Ring, which released on day one and 
was a roaring success, I think. Um, as likewise for Final Fantasy, um, Final Fantasy fourteen, um, which also released in December, had a patch. Um, sorry, no, had a chapter release called Endwalker, and um, these two games are an example of games performing really well but in the last couple of years we've seen many games released that weren't ready on day one and it's it's massively damaged the consumer confidence in gaming publishers to produce games in a certain time frame i think we've seen a shift to a lot of um, publishers delaying games and also then the audience being appreciative that they're delaying games because people are so passionate about these communities and so passionate about these games and they want them to be good they like they they want them to deliver on their promises and recently they've some gaming publishers have struggled. Absolutely. The, the analogy that I always use is uh, for you know people who kind of see gaming as a bit separate, don't really follow it, is imagine the passion and the discourse around the final season of, uh, of Game of Thrones. Yep. Turn that up to 11. That's what you get when a gaming franchise takes a bad turn or something's delivered. Well, that is Elden Ring, right? Yep. It was produced by George R.E. Martin. So, yep. um, yeah, like it, that, that is it. And it, unlike Game of Thrones season eight yeah. or the last season it delivered yeah and it's probably i have people in my team that have sunk hours and hours hundreds of hours into that game so that's a that's a fascinating moment where you know the kind of metaverse of metaverse meaningful media is um uh, is becoming this this kind of cohesive content thing um so alex tan over in 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 paris we're going to come to you now um what 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 does gaming as meaningful media look like what's it going to become and how are those expectations in gaming evolving well, it's, it's a very, very good question. I mean, I tend to think, but again, you know, you can call me biased, uh, that video gaming is already meaningful. Uh, it's not something that it should gain or prove. It is already meaningful and in different ways. Um, first, and gaming is the most engaging form of uh, entertainment there is out there. You know, it is, it is uh, engaging by nature, by design, um, which is not necessarily the same with other types of, of, of entertainment. I mean, you know, you listen to music, you watch a movie or a TV series, you read a book, but you actually play a video game, meaning that you're on, in the driver's seat. So to me, if, you know, when brands are looking for engagement with their audience, I think gaming is obviously super meaningful to them just because of, 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 this, of this reason. Um, but actually, meaningfulness goes both ways, right? We, we very often talk about meaningfulness for brands but what's, what's in it for the players themselves? So I think, you know, to be truly meaningful, you know, gaming has to be considered, you know, along those, you know, the two, two directions. Being meaningful for, for brands in, in a way that it's a unique way for brands to engage with their audience, but also, you know, being meaningful for the player, because if it, if it is meaningful to the player, then it can go a very, very, very long way. Um, and I think, you know, gaming... And when I look at uh, mobile gaming, for example, has something quite unique uh, versus other media. Um, there's some ads interactions that live within the mobile gaming space that do not exist in any other form of media whatsoever, such as the rewarded videos, for example, which is an interesting, uh, uh, which is an interesting format. It's an opt-in you know, advertising format, which the gamer decides whether or not to engage with. And again, I don't, I don't find in any other media something similar to that. So to me, again, meaningfulness has to be considered you know, in both directions towards the brand, but also towards the player. And um, you know, considering the fact that, again, gaming by nature 
within its own you know, DNA is meaningful at the core. Thanks, Alex. And I think that what's coming through is the, the passion and connection any type of gamer has with this medium. We're all passionate about meaningful media, but that's hugely important for, for how and when brands show up appropriately and well. I've actually got a really nice example of that, which is some some work that B2C Paris, which was the gender swap uh, animations to actually highlight inequality in the games industry. So, you know, Alex, you talked about the uh, uh, Alex in Paris. Uh, you talked about the the need for players to get something as as well as uh, as brands. Um, and this execution, which we'll include in the show notes, was really nice. It was uh, a project with NGO Women in Games to kind of really think, uh, get the public and, and, uh, and gamer gaming studios um, and gamers to, to think about how women were uh, portrayed in games. It was also uh, went live on Switch and it created this, this really interesting debate. So this kind of leads nicely to our next question, which is the kind of role of... Um, ethics uh so i think a lot about ethics our previous uh, podcast was around uh, our membership of the institute of advertising ethics so gaming communities can be passionate but they can also be sometimes subsets of them can be quite difficult and there are also lots of questions around a rapidly evolving medium so what's the role for the stakeholders here uh, this is a bit more of a macro question but in terms of games publishers, the ad industry, uh, people supporting games, how can they bring around meaningful change in this space? Alexander in London, I'm going to come to you first if that's okay. Yeah, um, I actually really love the gender swap example when I was watching it because I think gender representation in games is really important. Um, There's been a shift towards it in the last couple of years. Um, Horizon being probably the most famous recent example um, also, Life is Strange by Square Enix. Um, so I think it's really, really important. And we talk about in that gender swap uh, example that how women are represented in games. But if we think about, if we take a step back, how women are represented within the people who are building the games or publishing the games is also really important. And how um, how many women are involved, how many people of colour are involved. It, it's really important, people from minorities um, so I think that's really important and it was quite shocking, as you said, to see how the characters, um, the way they move, the way they're dressed, the way they're uh, just represented in the games is really important. And it does, as we said, like so many people are gaming at the moment, um, that it does have an impact on the way uh, uh, like children or uh, just gamers in general view themselves and view women or other people represented within the game. I think we have a responsibility as consumers and as gamers to consciously consume video games and make sure that we're making appropriate choices when we are buying video games. That's really interesting because you know we know from our own meaningful brands work uh, and lots of other third party studies in the industry prove that. Yeah. So we're seeing that in in gaming and that, and that need for I guess almost inclusivity by design uh, as gamers broaden. Um, so uh, Alex, can we turn to you now? And I'd like you to kind of think about this question. Um, but also kind of talk about monetization. You've, you've obviously done some great work in this pl- in this space and thinking about respectful and appropriate monetization. So if you can think about that and also cover the monetization question, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, so, so we, we said earlier that, uh, you know, um, about half the world population now, you know, play games. Um, so as a consequence, we can assume that gaming is a very, very powerful media. So is there... You know, a role for ethics in gaming? 
Of course, th there is. Uh, by all means, uh, this is a very, very important question. And I think, you know, as, as Alexander was saying, it's everybody's, you know, I would say duty, responsibility from the entire value chain to make sure that ethics is actually present. Um, I can think of, of different examples. I mean, um, you know, we actually released last year, we released uh, the Oregon Trail uh, on Apple Arcade. And one thing we wanted to do from the very beginning was to really, really make sure that from an historical point of view, uh, the representation of Native Americans, um, you know, would be would be accurate. So we actually, you know, used, uh, uh, I would say we, we, we leveraged um, relationships with uh, Native American uh, scholars in, in the US to make sure that the game would actually have a true representation of what Native Americans were at the time, what clothes they were, you know, what type of, uh, you know, um, um, uh, food they were they, they were eating and so on and so forth. What were their, their customs, et cetera? Because we didn't want to fall into the, the stereotypes that maybe we, we may have been fed uh, you know, by Hollywood, for example, over the last uh, several decades. So that's that's one way of doing it. And we f we felt the resp our you know it was our responsibility to actually do this as a game developer and game publisher. Now, when it comes to uh, when it comes to monetization, uh, that's that's really really interesting. I mean, ethics. If we can take a step back, um, you know, as as you said, uh, Ben, we've been doing some brand work at GameLoft for quite some time now uh, for for the last seven years. And one of the first things that we did was to actually develop a code of ads conduct at Gameloft to make sure that we would actually uh, avoid some of the wrongdoings and some of the, I would say, uh, wrong practices that uh, have been plaguing our industry, the, the ads industry, uh, over the last uh, decades. I mean, we can talk about, you know, some things that may be trivial, such as misclicks, for example, when you're exposed, when a player is exposed to an ad inside a game. And that ad does not necessarily resonate with that player. You know, if the player is going to, you know, tap on that cross, you know, that close button, that's exactly what should happen. You know, the ad should actually uh, close off. Uh, and unfortunately, we've seen, you know, uh, we've seen that that's not always the case. So, and this, of course, does not plague only, you know, gaming as a media, but uh, you know, the web as well, and other types of of of, of environments. So. These are the type of things that we felt at the core, you know, if we were going to be present in that field, we had to be very, very ethical about, uh, about it. But I could actually share some other, uh, some other uh, concerns as well. I think the ads industry, you know, starting with the brands and the agencies representing them, should also, uh, you know, feel a strong responsibility. So to give an example, it is not okay to age target precisely kids in the U.S., six to 12, there's, uh, you know, there's a regulation co called COPA, which protects minors. And that's something that sometimes, you know, we get asked to go to actually go, go past and, and see if we can deliver such targeting. So, you know, I think it's everybody's responsibility throughout the value chain, whether it's, uh, the, again, the brands, the agencies, the, 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 the developers, but also the, the, the players to be doing uh, the right things. Thanks, Alex. That was from both of you. Really, really passionate response to that question. And the the key thing I'm taking away from that is the the need for ethics and inclusion by design uh, in every step of the, 
the process, but also our responsibilities in terms of the, the supply chain in the fullest sense from the, the production of the product um, at the studio through to how we're thinking about monetization and, and showing up as brands. And, and if I may add, sorry about this, but what is important also to, under, to understand is that for the, uh, for the gaming, um, I would say, uh, ecosystem for developers and, and publishers, advertising and brand partnerships is not something that they are necessarily always familiar with. Uh, in the sense that it's not their first port of call when it comes to revenue generation. So, and at the same time, we see you know gaming as a media growing increasingly year after year after year. So that means that you know game developers and game publishers are going to very very quickly are going to have to get used to what is asked you know uh, uh, by by brands, what brands expect from a media. And again, that that is not something that is necessarily natural. So there's going to be a lot of education, a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, you know, uh, awareness rising within the industry so that, you know, gaming players, you know, you know, game developers, game publishers can actually embrace what is asked from, obviously, overall medias. You know, we can talk about, you know, viewability, measurement, brand safety, and so on and so forth, which are not something that gaming companies have been used to in the past just because literally their monetization did not depend on brand activations per se. Alexandra over here in London, kind of listening to that, what would what would you think what Alex is saying is is the case? How, how can you join that up, the brilliant marketing that these studios do with, with the kind of opportunities for monetization that, that might be there and the opportunities for other brands to show up? They get monetization from or they get money from is essentially in-game or microtransactions and also loot boxes is yeah. two very, I would say, controversial um, ways they um, get, get some um, source of income. And especially with the games that are deemed to be quite expensive, I know there's been a lot of pushback recently. If you're paying 70 quid for a game, you don't necessarily want uh, microtransactions and mm. loot boxes within the game, especially when it inhibits your progression through the game. And so I think in-game advertising is one facet of it, but there's also various um, areas and uh, controversial areas, I would say, that to make money within the game, and there's been a lot of pushback recently in terms of how publishers go about that. I think loot boxes in particular, I mean, they have been banned in Belgium and they're seen as gambling. And there is, yeah, there's a responsibility. I think there's responsibility from publishers to not include loot boxes when when the games could be aimed at children. Because as Alex said... Um, we we need to be aware that some games, even if they are eighteen plus, will will reach children, and uh, I, I suppose you could argue that loot boxes prime children to potentially gamble into the future. Like they get yeah. them used to it. It's like it rewards and incentivizes them through gamification. Um, so I think in terms of that facet, and then within in-game advertising, um, as Alex says, I think it needs to be done well and done in a native sense because mm. um if you're driving if you're doing a car game for example and there's a billboard on the side of the road or gta 5 and there's a billboard on the side of the road that is that would be received well by the consumer but if it interrupts their immersion and their experience that's something that we need to consider because people play games to to entertain themselves, to be immersed in a different world, especially during the pandemic. And I think that's really important that we don't interrupt that because they're more likely to give up on the brand that's advertising and give up on the game itself. 
That is fascinating, right? That's a really critical point. Uh, that there's that almost danger there, I guess. From brands? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot of brands don't know how to engage with gamers and kind yeah. of looping back to our previous point, there's a lot of ga- – there's a wide spectrum of gamers um, and from the Fortnite players to the MMORPG players to the uh, just plain RPG players to so the co-op players. Um, I mean, there's so many different mobile gamers as well to Alex's um, – to Game Loss Point. Um, but – and brands need to be aware of how to speak to each type of gamer. And I think that's probably where they uh, fall down a lot is that they see gamers as one big conglomerate. One, there's just one type of gamer out there, but there really isn't. And the way you speak to gamers, whether it be a PC gamer versus a mobile ver- gamer versus a console gamer is very, very different. And you're likely to fall flat if you don't do it correctly. Um, and so I think... We're seeing a shift towards that. Like uh, we've seen some really good examples. For example, I think Louis Vuitton partnered with League of Legends and Gucci partnered with Roblox. But there needs to be, on, uh, to Alex's point previously, there needs to be some sort of value exchange yeah. when we're talking about brands within gaming because it is uh, it is a meaningful media, and you want to give something back to the consumer, whether it be. Uh, cosmetically within the game or uh, it adds to the environment, something along those lines, but there needs to be some sort of value exchange which brands can participate with gamers. So I think that is an excellent time to go back to our panel now and, and kind of unpack that a little bit more and consider how they feel when brands turn up in their gaming space, in, the, in their spaces, because they are their spaces. This is Yasmin from Germany. Um, I don't mind brands showing up in games as long as it's not some kind of a ad in your face moment. So the ideal way for a brand to show up in a game for me would be that you recognize it's there, but you don't recognize its advertisement. Subtle is really the way to go here. Otherwise, players might get annoyed. Like the brands should be incorporated smoothly. For example, if a character drinks a Coke in the background, you can tell it's a Coke your first thought wouldn't be, oh, this is product placement. If, however, the character suddenly starts to talk about how good the Coke Coke tastes and like out of the blue and you see the Coke for several seconds, it's too obvious and disturbs the flow of the game. Hi, I am Thierry Moret. It depends on the form of appearance. I don't like the freemium model as I think there is no legitimacy and it doesn't drive engagement. When brands are present in an environment such as in real life, for example, billboards in soccer games or racing games, I feel it natural and even reinforced immersion. Goodies such as skins are also a good way to promote brands, giving players more customization. But I think we can be much more ambitious and meaningful, especially with new opportunities given by the metaverse. Concerts, exhibitions, world premiere, experience, meeting with stars, Brands can create very strong, engaging campaigns. Hi, my name is Drew. Brands have been showing up in games since the start of gaming. Brands have always put their logo here and there inside of a game, ever since even Tony Hawk's first game, where the clothes and the skateboard brands were always integrated into the games. I think it was a matter of time before gaming got big enough to a point where brands could make substantial money off of being featured in games. You see it everywhere now from Fortnite to GTA to Sims. There are brands everywhere, and I think it's definitely become a cash cow, but I don't want to see the scales tip and suddenly branding be the only thing you see. Um, I like to see it in terms of clothing and customizations in games, but 
once it starts taking over and the game starts losing its luster, I don't want to see just branding in my games anymore. Hello, my name is Geoffrey No. I think that games or even media specialized in gaming are private spaces between communities or friends. So it means that uh, they have specific codes they share. Um, and for a brand to be welcome, I think it's essential that brands respect these codes and they adapt by adding value to their presence. For example, um, by offering a unique experience for players or with exclusive content like rewards. Um, and I think that if a brand is truly uh, looking to establish a new and innovative relationship for the benefit of the player, uh, it can make its mark. I'm Emma. When brands show up in gaming spaces, I think it's great. They're home to such huge engaged communities, so it's a really great way for brands to speak to these audiences but I also think it really has to be done in an authentic way um, and an intuitive way so it's really clear to the gamer that the brand understands the world that they're integrating themselves into and the way it works um, and the space that they're showing up in. Hello my name is Samuel so when brands turn up in my gaming space I more often I just ignore it just out of instinct ignoring it so alex in paris we heard from our, our panel just then and alexandra had some great thoughts in in london can you riff on those a little bit how do brands show up appropriately well again here it's a matter of uh, being relevant and meaningful to the players um and as alex was, was saying um you know Gamers are not just one bulk of people. And first of all, they are people, they are consumers. You know, the fact that they are gamers is something that, you know, that's what they do when you reached when you reach them in that particular moment, quality moment of them playing a game. But first and foremost, they're they are people and they're consumers. So meaningfulness to the players is at the core. You know, this is what brands should should aim for. Um, contrary to, to what uh, I would say a fairly large percentage of the population think. Gamers do not actually push back on brands inside their games as long as these are, again, meaningful to them, relevant, and they don't act, they don't actually block them in their gaming experience. So you, you, you need to know precisely when to trigger an ad, when to trigger a brand uh, uh, activation. It can be natively, as Alex was saying, and it can be really blended into the environment uh, that you're evolving uh, uh, in. But it can actually also be something a bit more straightforward, such as a media activation, as long again as the, the ad placement, the moment when you trigger it, is uh, uh, selected very, very carefully. As I was mentioning, there's something, there's there are opt-in uh, elements inside video games called rewarded videos that can be great, uh, great, uh, um, I would say, moments to be, to be, uh, you know, uh, showing a brand message uh, to, to a gamer. Uh, and there, there are some, some, some other things such as sponsorships and, and, and other more, I mean, just, I would say subtle uh, activations. One thing that, uh, you know, I want, I would like to mention is uh, there was this uh, survey made by Anzu Anzu being one of uh, one of the uh, native ad integration tech out there, um, and they've asked actually uh, 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 gamers, US gamers, aged eighteen to thirty-four, uh, what advice those gamers would would give to advertisers looking to advertise inside games, and forty-one percent of respondents said that it should always reward advertising time, attention, and should always provide a strong value exchange. 
So I think this really, really illustrates the expectations of gamers. They don't push back on brands as long as there's something in it for them. I, I think that's so that's so key. And um, I was listening to what you know Drew in the US mentioned uh, when he was saying that um, uh, you know he recognizes as a consumer that brands can make uh, make money off being featured in games, and, and it's appropriate for. Um, for, for some brands but also you know he was worried about the um, the scales tipping and suddenly sort of branding being the the you know being everywhere in gaming and it speaks to that uh, that importance of, of getting that right so I want to talk to I want to turn to uh, Alexandra here in London um, to kind of talk about if you could some of the some of the right ways of doing this some of the good ways um, maybe kind of provide a little bit of guidance for brands who want to be in this space but avoid the pitfalls and, and leverage this in incredibly meaningful media um, a really good example of a brand turning up in the gaming space or within a game I think is uh, pride or pride week rather in the US um, they partnered with Animal Crossing during COVID and it was actually a really, really good example of a brand turning up and they hosted Pride Week within Animal Crossing. And uh, it was received really, really well. Um, the community got to go to Pride Week within uh, Animal Crossing the game. They could participate in various activities, the parade, all those sorts of things. And it's obviously brought a lot of awareness to the LGBTQ community. Um, and I just think that's a really good example of integration, but integration that adds value to the game and gives back to players and recognises the diverse range of players within Animal Crossing itself. And especially during COVID because people are unable to participate or un unable to uh, uh, as easily uh, connect with their friends. It's, this represented a really good example of brands bringing people together but within the gaming space. So one one thing that's that's really kind of standing out to me is this is quite kind of partnership and experiential led. This isn't, you know, what we're what we're doing are building real media experiences. So I guess uh, can I ask you both what what's your advice for brands? Um, you can obviously speak to your specific areas of expertise, but it'd be really good to say if you're a brand who wants to create these media experiences, what's the um, what's the playbook here? What's the what's the advice you can give? Um, Alex in Paris, I'm, I'm, you know, you you do this, you build those brand partnerships uh, over at GameLoft. So yeah. I'm going to turn to you um, first, if I may, and just just give give brands an idea of uh, how, guide them, um, if you will. Sure. So, so very first piece of advice is um, onboard the game developer and, and the game publisher that you're going you want to work with as early as possible. I would say we need to understand. What's the purpose? What's the strategy? What's the, the objective behind that brand activation? As Alex was saying, sometimes it feels like brands want to get into gaming because it's uh, you know it's the right thing to do at the moment because everybody's talking about gaming. So you know I should tick that box. So it's very important to really really you know um, share the whole vision with the developer at as early a stage as possible to understand. And maybe, you know, the developer can then can then brainstorm and, and provide a better activation than the one initially anticipated or expected by the brand. Second is, um, you know, put the right amount of budget behind this because many people, and I see this every day when it comes to mobile, you know, brand activations and mobile gaming, um, people tend to think that because it's it's mobile, you know, it it doesn't cost that much. Whereas there's a lot of work put behind, you know, putting, you know, uh, running a brand activation natively inside a game or designing 
a, a gaming experience, you know, from scratch for for a brand. So, you know, uh, I would say budget planning, sharing your overall purpose uh, objective are really really key. Um, uh, for for brands to take into consideration, and last maybe is um, do not ask more than what gaming can can deliver. It is digital, so of course there's a lot of data that can be collected and and, and passed on, but really really you know don't don't I would say uh, don't ask more than what gaming can do. It's not it will not solve every brand's problem. Brilliant jumping off point there. I guess um, I'm taking from that. Ask not uh, what gaming can do for you, but ask what you can do for gaming. Um, yes, pretty much. <laughs> Alexandra over here in London, you obviously build these kind of partnerships, these media experiences for gaming brands. But can you can you use that experience to give brands generally in this space some, some advice? Yeah, I think um, brands or FMCG brands that want to enter the gaming space really need to think about what they want to achieve. I think... Um, as Alex said previously, a lot of brands get into the space not not knowing what they want to achieve. So um, starting off conversations become quite hard uh, to really delve down deep of what the what the goal and what the KPI is for that for that campaign. Um, another one is start early. These <sighs> games are in production for years, ten like not hundreds of years, but <laughs> ten years or five years. Hun- hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and thousands of people years, though. You know, yes. I was looking at the the amount of development time that went into Cyberpunk, exactly. But also some of the some of the Gameloft games. I mean, Alex, you know, will tell us that some of these games have um, the Oregon Trail, Disney Kingdoms. You know, have huge, um, even smaller games have huge development cycles. So, yeah, sorry. No, no, but basically, to start early, like you're not yeah. going to, uh, you need to have a think about what you want to achieve. Um, start early. Start those conversations early, uh, because if you want to be with like built in within the game, it will take time. Also, context and dwell time, I think, are very important to mm. take into consideration. Obviously, some games would not be appropriate to some brands um, due to the violence or the context or the, the actual what is in the game. Um, but also how long people are going to be observing your ad needs to be taken into consideration. So if that is like uh, integration, how they're interacting with the ad, will they notice it? Um, I think in-game advertising still has a little bit of a way to go in, in terms of measuring yeah. what the metrics, traditional media metrics that we use in media and measuring that within game. So just um, in terms of your expectations about what you'd get out of the advertising campaign also needs to be evaluated at the very beginning. A fantastic insight. I think it really does give give brands a, a way of kind of understanding where to start in this space if, if they're not engaging already. So I, I want to ask one final, slightly more kind of implementational question. Um because it, it, we've seen from our panel of gamers, we've seen from the conversation that this is definitionally meaningful media. You want to build your brand, you want to uh, create these lasting connections. Gaming is now. It's important. It's incredibly powerful. You've given us kind of playbook and advice for brands, but one thing is sort of measurement and how that fits into a traditional media. So this is quite a complex question, um, quite implementational to leave us on, but I wanted to think about that. So Alex in Paris, what's the appropriate way of kind of measuring, of thinking about success in this space? Well, it's it's very interesting because, uh, you know, the, the, the temptation I would say from, you know, for a brand or an agency representing a brand would be to try to to stick to what you're used to seeing in the web environment or in digital overall. And that, that I think, would be a big mistake 
gaming is a media in its own right. It, it has its own rules. So I think, you know, you need, uh, and there's a, actually, it's very exciting because there's still a lot to be done in that space to identify, you know, proper KPIs uh, for, for gaming that could actually suit brands. Now, when it comes to media activation inside games, there, you know, the typical things that we, we do track are engagement rates, complete engagement on engagement rates, uh, click-through rates, uh, number of replays, if it's a playable branded ad, for example, things like this, impressions. I think, so. again, trying to be as close as possible to what agencies and brands already know. It's a bit of a schizophrenic uh, approach, I would say, because uh, one part of our brain says, well, we need to do this because this is what agencies and brands know, and this is what we'll talk to them. And at the same time, we know that this does not deliver the full picture of the impact that gaming can have. So actually, Gameloft is actually working currently on some, some uh, you know, we've got a big project to try and identify how we could measure the value and the ROI for a brand investing in, in, uh, in game advertising. This is something that is ongoing at the moment and that we should be uh, delivering uh, later on this fall. Uh, but it is, it is a crucial critical topic if we want this to be growing exponentially similarly to uh, you know uh, the audience and uh, and the engagement we've seen around gaming over the last uh, couple of years thanks alex so it's complex and in some cases is catching up to be done uh, but i guess that because of that complexity and that need to get ahead of it that's why ultimately Havas Entertainment was built and, and Alexandra in London here and the team at Havas Entertainment have built that practice. So you're the experts in this space, no pressure. Um, we're going we're gonna to leave it with, uh, with you. How should brands think about measurement and think about success in this space? Take a step back to gaming publishers. And I think this is a, this is a problem within the gaming... Uh, Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah and gaming environment essentially is that we, because sales are hosted or sales... Co- essentially go through PlayStation, Xbox, PC, etc. Um, people, we, we lose our consumer at the last point of conversion because a lot of games are not brought on the publisher's gaming website. They're actually brought through third parties. So, uh, so you, you, the actual ability to track that transaction yes, yeah, okay. is massively hampered. And we do have smart ways of doing this, but um, it's a... It is a problem within the bigger, wider gaming industry. Unless your games of a service or an online game, um, a lot of these games are brought through third-party publishers or uh, third-party um, consoles, and that does mean that we sometimes are working blind. And I know a lot of gaming publishers are working blind. We do have other ways of tracking this, like attribution modeling, etc. But as a whole, um, there is a long way to go in terms of the tech and how we track conversions and especially with the death of the cookie and more and more companies are well we're seeing a lot of consolidation within um, gaming but also media and with first party data becoming more and more important it's really important for these gaming publishers to make sure they're owning their data they have they know are they utilizing their data within advertising campaigns and also working with publishers like playstation xbox uh, steam to be able to uh, accurately attribute sales to their advertising. 
In terms of what brands, uh, we definitely need to reevaluate how we consider success, especially for such things such as sponsorships or partnerships um, in terms of the measurability. A lot of that could be considered through a number of streams on Twitch or YouTube or um, your earned, earned media. And so I think it's important to look more at earned media when you, especially when you have a partnership with video with a video games publisher versus your traditional metrics, and that is traditional metrics like CPA. Or which, CPA. Go, which goes back to some of the things our panel were talking about. Is it, they were talking about Twitch, they were talking about um, uh, you know kind of watching um, streamers uh, do walkthroughs. Is that there's there's a whole lot of earned media that that you have to think about, which is you know, partly what makes this so complex, but also such a rich media environment. Those media experiences aren't just, I'm sitting playing my console game. It's also the connection I have with the streamer, the content that I consume on Twitch. Yeah, recently we did a campaign with Square Enix um, for Endwalker. And in Australia, they are launching a... Uh, there was a new DC launch, uh, data center launch, and we did a huge brand campaign. And there was murals being painted out of home. And these are obviously traditionally quite hard things to track. And what we saw was the community responded really, really positively to these campaigns. I, I, I almost think a metric of success within the gaming sphere is being um, on the first page of Reddit slash gaming. <laughs> that is, that is, that's when you've won. Yeah. Because people are... Um, uh, commenting about your game, uh, taking pictures, sharing with the community, and the community is responding positively to advertising. Uh, we get more from that campaign and more feedback internally from clients from that kind of earned media space than we do from a CPC, a CTR, those sorts of metrics. And I think that's where gaming is going, um, especially with, as I mentioned, the death of the cookie. We're moving away from like a, a click here and a CPA our conversion there we're moving towards more earned media and creating meaningful media that stays on the internet for forever wow. and continues to build that brand even when the game launch is finished alex we like to finish with a meaningful media fast five um, we're gonna go nice and quick what is your meaningful media what's your most meaningful media alex in paris uh, I would say news magazines. Um, I'm uh, still hard copy, actually, hard copy magazines. I'm still a big, uh, big, uh, you know, uh, magazine reader myself. Interesting. You like the physical product. What what media do you start your day with? Is it one of those news magazines? No, it's actually uh, news on French TV while having breakfast. Um, so what uh, what's your what's your media guilty pleasure? What's your what's your guilty pleasure? What's the thing you feel guilty about? Uh, not necessarily guilty, but I mean, it may be, it may, you know, come through as, as a bit of a strange thing, but I'm, I'm a big watch fan. And uh, so I'm a big consumer of uh, Hodinkee YouTube channel and uh, watch unboxing videos on YouTube. Amazing. Unboxing videos. Um, <laughs> what, what's the media you turn to when you want to get inspired? You want to get pumped up? Depends on the topic, really. Uh, but I would say, actually, Pinterest and Instagram are quite big on my list for various reasons. Interesting. Not TikTok. Nope. Past the age. Tool. Uh, well, you know, um, we're going to be doing some uh, some podcasts with TikTok, and um, we have some interesting demographics to share on that. So you can only have one media platform for the rest of your life. That's it. Single media platform. That's all you've got. Um, which one is it? uh only one i'd say probably facebook for its vers- you know its versatile aspects uh in the sense that 
I've got my news feed in there. I can, you know, I can keep contact with my relatives and friends. I can play games. So it's safe for the versatility aspect, uh, probably Facebook. Interesting. And you didn't try and cheat by saying Meta and getting all of their platforms. So that was <laughs> no. All right. Facebook. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. So, Alexandra, we'd like to finish with the Meaningful Media Fast Five. Uh, we heard Alex's. So let's hear yours. Firstly, what is your Meaningful Media? Similar to Alex's, um, I actually think that my meaningful media is The Guardian. I, especially during the last couple of years, I um, I think I've come to appreciate good news reporting. I am, um, I do tend to doom scroll and just con- continuously read the yes, news. So, yeah. Um, but no, I think The Guardian is a great platform. It's a great source of news. They deliver really interesting uh, thought pieces and opinions. And I, I, appreciate it so much I pay for it so um, I pay for a subscription of it so I think it's a great great source of media amazing so what media do you start your day with probably like a lot of people Wordle um, (laughs) at the moment Uh, I love puzzle games so at the moment Wordle is uh, the first thing I do when I wake up nice way to kick off the kick off the day and avoid the doom scrolling I'm I'm often guilty of that as well don't look at Twitter first thing yes exactly Um, what's your media guilty pleasure Podcasts in general, um, I'm not sure they're guilty, but there is one particular podcast. Um, it's called Sentimental Garbage. Mm-hmm. It came out again during the lockdown, um, and it's a uh, for smart people that like like dumb things. And it's uh, they delve into it's Dolly Alterton and Caroline Donahue, and they delve into Sex in the City, and it's about the themes of Sex in the City. Wow! I know that sounds ridiculous, no, and. No, no. But it's great. I don't even like Sex and the City, but it's just great themes of Sex and the City. Um, fantastic. I will, uh, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a listen. Uh, what media do you turn to when you want to get inspired? I think Spotify, Discovery, Playlist. I honestly don't know how they know me so well. I don't even know myself that well, but they'll um, every week deliver a cracking playlist and I love listening to it on Monday. It really gets me hyped up for the week. Another awesome recommendation. So the most difficult question, you only have one media platform for the rest of your life. That's it, singular one. That's all That's all you're going to the desert island with. Um, which one is it? Can I say the internet? Or is that you, you can you can try, but we've we've had previous um, previous guests try and cheat this question. But um, you're going to have to be a bit more specific than that. It can be something that uh, the internet web two delivers um, for you. I'll just say my mobile phone. And if we um, if we asked you to have one thing on that mobile phone, what would it be? You're really trying to pin me down here, mm. aren't you? I was going to say Google Chrome then. <laughs> Uh, you know what? That's actually um, that's actually brilliant. Um, okay, one w- one site on Google Chrome, <laughs> one one media property you can connect to via Google Chrome. The Guardian. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Guardian wins again. Thanks to our guests in our studios today: Alexandra here in London, Alex in Paris, and a big thanks to our gamers on the panel: Drew, Emma, Jeffrey, Samuel, Thierry, and Yasmin. See you next time. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on all things meaningful media, the media that matters. Drop us a mail at podcast at havasmg.com. That's podcast at havasmg.com. Please do subscribe, like, and share the Meaningful Media podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. 
and you can follow us on our socials, all addresses in the show notes. Once again, thanks. Join me, Ben Downing, soon for more perspectives on Meaningful Media.